Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your new go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Select Few. Select Few provides transparent, flexible marketing teams made of pre-vetted freelancers. Establish action plans, discover missing pieces, and then build and manage a team of pros in everything from copywriting to Facebook ads to web design and outsourced sales. No white labeling, no markups, just flexible teams of expert marketers ready to get to work. If you run a business and need help with marketing, head to selectfew.co. And if you're a pro freelancer looking to work with new clients, head to the same address or send an email over to team at selectfew.co. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. Today, we are going to talk about freelance writing rates. So how to set them, raise them, fearlessly ask for what you need. This is something that a lot of freelance writers, especially new ones that are starting out and haven't solidified a rate, struggle with. But it's also something that seasoned freelance writers struggle with as we adjust our services and try to figure out what the market will bear. So Kaylee, why don't we start by having you share a little bit about how you think about rates and especially like how did you think about them early on in your business? Well, I will tell you that my first writing job ever, I was writing for a local newspaper, my first paid gig, and I got $25 for a 500-word story. So my bar was pretty low going in. I was just really excited to be paid to write something. Yeah, I really didn't care if it had been $5. I probably would have said yes, just because it felt very novel and shiny and new. But as time went on, I started to realize how much time goes into writing and how much you don't really think about factoring into what goes into a writing project, whether it's researching or being on the phone or, you know, the cost of doing business. There's fees taken out of your invoices that you send and all those other costs you have to think about. And so I had to get more strategic and start figuring out, number one, what are the going rates for the type of work I'm doing and for somebody at my kind of experience level? And also, like, what's realistic? What's going to make me look viable to a client, I guess, where I'm not super low on the low end of things that makes me look inexperienced and like I don't know what I'm doing, but is not so high that I'm losing opportunities because I'm pricing myself beyond a realistic budget. And I still struggle with this. And I'm sure that most freelance writers do because there's no real guidebook on this, right? There's no one point of documentation or report, anything like that. And also everything is so bespoke, it feels like when you're working on quoting projects, every project is so different. So this is a really complex topic. I am excited to get into it. But I would say to sum things up, I started super low, quickly realized that was a very bad idea, started putting some processes in place to regularly increase my rates and kind of try to get a feel for the market and what going rates were. And then we can also get to like where I'm at now, which is quite a bit down the road, seven years in, feeling a lot more seasoned, a lot more confident. But I want to start at the ground level. So I want to ask you the same question too. I want to hear what you have to say. 
Yeah. So I want to start by like sharing when I sort of realized that people would pay for high quality writing. And for me, I worked at an agency. It was basically my first like real job, I would say, my first adult job. I worked for a marketing agency. They provided, it was like back in the old days of SEO and they provided industry news content. So what they did was every day they would write like a short 200 to 400 word article for a company on something in their industry, like whatever came out and the latest news that day. It was not good content. I didn't get paid anything for this job. I think my salary was like 30 grand a year or maybe 28 grand a year. This was maybe seven years ago, but I was living in downtown Boston. Like this was not a lot of money. And, but what I recognized at this job was first of all, my skill as a writer was super valued, but also that the agency I was working for was charging clients a lot of money for what I was producing. So even though I wasn't getting paid that much and they were, you know, there were account managers and there were graphic designers and there was everyone else at the agency, the writing itself was at a premium. Like I remember people whispering like, did you know client X charges or did you know client Y pays us four grand a month to do these little articles? And it was like, holy crap, where's my four (laughs) grand a month, right? (laughs) So I just want to start by saying like, I also like you, I didn't really like recognize that this, that there was like money out there. And, and I think when you're an individual coming into it, four grand means so much to you, but to a business, it may mean something different, right? So that's like a really important thing to keep in mind when thinking about rates is that what may be a lot of money to you or sound like crazy to you may not actually be that much out of a company's marketing budget, for example. So that's one important aspect of this. But then the second thing I want to talk about is when I decided to quit my in-house job and go freelance, the financial part of it was like super important to me in the sense that I was like, this isn't worth doing unless I can make at least as much as what I was making in-house. And at that time I was making a healthy salary. So I thought a lot about well, what do I need to live? And so some of it is like, what will people pay for? But then it's like, well, what do I need to live? And is that going to work with what I'm with the rates that I'm offering? So it was something like, I was like, well, if I charge $250 per blog post, which felt realistic to me at the time, and I do 10 of those a month, that's $2,500 a month. And that was like, I knew that I needed at the time $2,500 a month to cover like my rent, my car payment, my whatever. And I had that all in a spreadsheet. So that's like, I I really recommend freelance writers do that, that they think about like, well, what are the expenses that I need to cover? What's the minimum? And then kind of working backwards of like, oh, I need to make $2,500 a month. That's 10 blog posts at $250. It's five blog posts at X rate, whatever. I'm not good at doing the quick mental math. Does that make sense? I know I just sort of rambled on there about how I sort of came to the discussion about rates, but those are some of my experiences. Yeah, that's the exact same approach I use as well. I was working at a nonprofit before and was basically just like, okay, I am going to give myself 18 months to see if this is realistic, the freelancing thing. And I want to make at least what I was making at the job that I had. So for me, I didn't make the full-time transition until I had two retainers that were pretty close to guaranteeing the salary that I was making 
at the full-time job. And then everything on top of that was just kind of extra. So that was a nice layer of security that I went into this career shift with kind of like a security blanket is what I like to think of it. I was also married at the time. So I had a spouse who could provide healthcare, which I think is another important thing to consider because that can so quickly become a super overwhelming expense and it's a whole other animal now than it was seven years ago. So yeah. So yeah, that was an important caveat, but that's what I did too. I was just like, I want to make X amount to be sure that I'm like not missing out. And then from there, it's all gravy essentially. Yeah. And I think we should talk a little bit about the sort of distinction between the hourly versus project rates, because it's something that gets talked about a lot. You and I are both totally project rate people, but I do think that my project rate is cemented in knowing how long everything takes me to do and like knowing in my head what my hourly rate is. So do you have that? Like, do you think about like, well, what is, how long is it going to take me to like, let's say write a, a blog post and what is my time worth? How do you think about that? I think it's less tied to my time now more than ever, just because now I'm looking at projects more as what are the extra value adds that I can bring to the table that maybe somebody less experienced or less specialized can't. So really focusing almost on those value adds is like upsells and like upcharges to my rates, basically being like, these are things that I can do that are unique to me that make me worth this higher price point rather than like in the back of my mind thinking, okay, this is going to take me eight hours to do. It's more about and this is something actually you told me when we were talking about ebooks, writing ebooks at the end of the day. I feel like the final product is so much more valuable and has, and I know from past results with clients, I know how high the ROI can be that I feel like the rates that I charge now while they're at a premium are very much merited because I've seen what they can produce. So when we talked about the ebook thing, one of the things you said to me early on was that ebooks are sales assets, right? They're like direct sales assets that people use to literally convert customers and get money directly from that. So those should be quoted higher because they're not just a blog post, which is a little bit more like lower in the funnel or middle funnel, whatever you want to use marketer speak wise. So I think about those types of things and like the value, the final product value more than anything else. I think what's tough for new freelancers is understanding what value something has to a company. And I do think it takes some experience to understand like what's going to be really valuable for them. So like I have a lot of friends that are sales copywriters and so they work for online course creators and they might write a sales page for them. And that sales page, the copywriting is so great that it literally leads directly to like $500,000 in sales and, you know, X increase in conversions. And they have these great studies to show, you know, basically the value they provide. They can basically say, hey, if you spend $10,000 on me, then you're going to make 500 grand. These are the past results that I have. I think that's a little tougher for what you and I do just based on the types of clients that we work with and the types of copywriting that we do. But I think there's something in there about like, hey, this is the value this is the ROI of what I'm doing and being able to talk about that to justify the rates. But I do think when I talk about like, well, there is sort of a number in the back of my mind, that's a strategy that I learned way back when, when people talked about like, okay, think about how long it takes to do something and what your hourly rate would be. So I use this technique with some of my coaching clients. I say, let's say it's going to take you two hours to write a Facebook ad, let's say. 
if it takes you two hours and your hourly rate in your head is $100 an hour, you are going to take that rate and you know you're going to double it for the two hours and then you're going to double that. So you're going to charge $400 for this Facebook ad copy that you're creating and that's your project rate. Nobody needs to know about how long that takes you, but that doubling, it's not just like, oh, I'm doubling it to make all the profit. He, he, ha, ha. It's about, <laughs> is it right? Like it's, it's about, <laughs> I know, sorry. I mean, my like weird laugh, he, he, ha, ha, ha. But it's like my evil mutant laugh. Um, <laughs> the moo, ha, ha, right? Moo, ha. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, moo, ha, ha. So it's not about that. It's about covering all of this other stuff. Like it's, it's about covering the years of experience that you bring to the table. It's about covering the extra time you're going to spend doing research. It's about the extra time and money you're going to spend researching the right accounting software. Like it's about all of that stuff or educational trainings that you're going to get. Like that's what that sort of extra is all about. And like we can't tie our work so closely to the amount of hours that we work. But I, but when new freelance writers are looking for like, hey, I need a strategy just to figure out how to quote something. I think like that's a good one of like, take it, think about what you want your hourly rate to be. And sometimes when they're like, but what should my hourly rate be? I'm like, well, let's look at your last job. Let's look at your last job. What was your salary? And let's, you know, calculate the hourly rate based on that salary. And then let's do this exercise. So that is, can be like a helpful starting point, even though the goal is always to quote by project. Yeah. And I think the other pitfall that comes with the hourly pricing is that it really puts you in a position to be treated as an employee because your time is theirs. Basically you're on the clock for them. And so number one, it penalizes you for working efficiently, which you're going to do with time as, as you get more processes and kind of a workflow established. So you don't want to be working against yourself, but that's the worst case scenario because you're not getting any of the perks of being an employee. You're not getting paid time off. You're not getting vacation, retirement matches, people to take you out to lunch. You're not getting any of those things. You're just basically attaching yourself to somebody else's beck and call, which we talked about in one of our earlier episodes. So it's definitely something to be mindful of. And I've even just in recent years had clients come back and say, we really prefer the hourly model. Even if they're willing to cooperate and get close to what my rate would be, I understand the lens that they're seeing our relationship through. And it's not Mm, one that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. This is super interesting because I often... (sighs) There are some situations where I'm like, hourly would be the best for this. And give an example. Give us an example. So, and and I struggle with this too because I don't like working hourly. And then sometimes something comes up and I'm like, I don't know how to scope this. Maybe hourly is best. So, like an example, and I'm curious how you handle this. So sometimes a retainer is like a really good example where some client wants to hire me for 10 hours per month to review any copy they create, let's say. And they don't know how, you know, they don't know how many hours it's going to take. And the way that I've structured it in the past is like, I do something flat, like it's a $100 an hour rate. And I am going to, and like you are required to use five hours per month, or if you don't use it, you're still getting billed for that. And it can't go over 15 hours per month, let's say. And maybe this is like horrible of me to say like publicly in a podcast, but like, I don't, I don't hold myself to the hours in those relationships. I'm not like, oh, I spent exactly one hour and 45 minutes. I'm sort of like, well, I produced this asset. Like 
I fudge it a lot, which is not good. So maybe that's an argument for not doing hourly as I say that. No, like, no. I think that's... I think that illustrates how much nuance there is to all this. And like I said, every project is so different. And sometimes you just don't know how to quote it. You don't know what the scope is going to end up being. It is very open-ended, especially if it's a long-term project or a long-term engagement. Sometimes it's just like, ooh, I don't know. So I think you really, you have to take it on a, on a case-by-case basis. But let's talk about some of the things you can use kind of as benchmarks to figure out mm. like what's, what are good starting points or maybe like what's realistic for my market, for my industry, for the type of work I'm doing when you were getting started or even today, are there places that you would go or tactics you would use to establish those benchmarks in any way? Uh, it's a really great question. And I'm super curious what you have to say about it too. So I feel like there are resources out there if you just Google like what does it cost to to Mm -hmm. write a blog post and you can get some like wildly variable answers to that. But there are, I feel like Content Marketing Institute and might put out a benchmarks report on what budgets are maybe. Our friend Ashley Cummings actually has a guide on freelance writing rates, which we can link to in the, in the show notes. She did a survey too, right? Sorry? I think she did a survey too, just kind of like gauging going rates. Was that part of it? Yes, that's part of it. So she did a survey of freelance writers. I think she has one. And I think there are some other freelance writers that have them, like that did surveys of people. And we can try and compile these and put them in the show notes, like any resources that, yeah. that we find after this episode, because I think that's valuable. I know Ashley's is really good. It's like such a tough question because I don't feel like there are really good places to ask the question. I think other freelancers are a really good mm-hmm. resource. So if somebody, if you, like Kaylee, how many times have you and I emailed each other, especially in the early days <laughs> saying, what would you charge for this? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like we and that's what I was gonna say. I think asking other freelancers who are like at a similar level or like understand kind of the work that you do in the industry that you work in, that sometimes is the best option rather than trying to make sense of a really like wide, vast report where it's people in all kinds of sectors doing all kinds of work. Sometimes it's easier just to be like, What would you charge for this? <laughs> like find one person and ask them. Yeah, and and find someone that is a little bit more seasoned than you. I think like you and I are maybe about the same level. And so that's helped mm-hmm. us. But there's people that that I might ask that I feel not necessarily that they're more seasoned as a freelancer, but they have a different process than me. And so they might have insights into it. Like for example, when I have like a weird project, like and when I say weird, I mean, doesn't fit my standard, you know, my, my standard project, but it's something that I want to do. I ask people that have more of an agency model because they're used to to making a quote for something that's a little bit more wiggly. So I think having those go-to people to ask is helpful. Like I was even thinking, Kaylee, I'm like, should we throw out some numbers for like, I don't know, reasonable like ballparks to consider? It's really hard because it can vary so much by industry. Yeah. And experience and like, uh, right. But then it's so tough. I think having that network though, is a really good jumping off point. Even if it's like a small group within a private Slack channel or a Facebook group, just going in there and being like, Hey, like, what would you charge for this? And kind of getting a variety of feedback and using that as a, as a baseline to kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess use it as a jumping off point. I think the other thing too, is though, I saw somebody say this to me on Twitter. I think it was last week. I said, 
something about how do you know when it's time to raise your rates? And it was a male that said this, and I thought that was interesting to note, but he said, I continue to double my rate until I start getting pushback or start getting no's like that's outside of our budget. So he will basically push the limit as far as he can go and then recalculate once he starts hitting the wall. And I think that that's really aggressive, but I think it's really smart too, because so often we, especially women, under quote and under undervalue. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. And I hear women, especially women often say like, that's a lot. Like, I don't eh, How do I justify that? And it's like tied up with our sense of self-worth and all of this stuff. I have also that, that like tweet reminds me of this idea that I think it's like if 50% of your proposals aren't getting rejected, then your your prices are too low. Or it's something like mm-hmm. if all of your proposals are getting accepted, your prices are too low. Like you need to have a healthy amount of people saying no, which I know for the beginning freelancer is like hard to, hard to say. Yeah, you're like, ah! like yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's like that same sentiment of that tweet of like, you need to be charging high enough that people are like, eh, that's too much for me. And that, you know, you're meeting some resistance along the way. Because if you're not meeting any resistance, that's actually like a pretty big red flag, I would say. And then in thinking this, I'm like, maybe I should raise my rates because I haven't had a proposal rejected in a while. The other strategy that I've heard of, and this is sort of like an aside a bit, but if there's a project that you don't want to do for whatever reason, the client is difficult or it's a little bit outside of your area of expertise but you feel like it's still a good idea to put together a proposal, use it as a testing ground to just double your rate and see if they'll accept it. And then you're like excited about the project because instead of being like, oh my gosh, it's going to be such a tough project and I'm not going to get paid for it. You're like, I'm getting paid like twice what I normally would. I can really invest myself in this project. And then it's like an ad hoc strategy of like seeing what the market will bear. Because I think that is what that guy on Twitter is getting at. He's like, see what the market will bear. Like, see, go out there for yourself and see what people will say yes and say no to, right? Yeah, I think 100%. And I I also am in that boat sometimes where I'm like, hmm, I'm not really getting a lot of pushback. Is this too low? And then I'll talk to somebody else again oftentimes a male freelancer doing very similar work for very similar clients. And I'm shocked to find out that they're charging twice what I am and getting green lights on these projects. So I'm just like, I, it's, it's hard to know. It's, it's really difficult to know what's acceptable. I think women have a lot of fear about like coming across as greedy or overconfident or I don't know. There's just kind of this, in all the coaching clients that I speak with, I hear this over and over again, is that they really struggle to ask for more because they don't feel like their work is valuable enough or they just don't feel good asking for a higher rate. It's very intimidating, very scary. And I don't know. I think it's just oftentimes a matter of being being realistic about, like you said, what the market can bear, asking around and not just asking people who are doing the exact same work as you, but kind of getting a wider lens view of the totally. of the landscape and doing that consistently too. So it's not a one and done thing. It's not something you do once and then three years later, you're still charging the same rates. You have to stay on top of this and really keep learning and assessing and letting it evolve and hopefully grow. Your rates grow. Yeah, this is, so I worked with a business coach kind of recently who really encouraged me to productize my services, which she meant was like offer a case study package. It always costs exactly the same and 
I don't know, just go on your merry way with that. And there were a lot of arguments for doing that. For me, I feel like every project is so custom and it's one of the benefits that I think you get from working with me that I felt like some of that maybe could help, but it wasn't a perfect fit. It can be a really good fit if you're working with, let's say, solopreneurs and they always need the exact same kind of thing so you can easily productize that service. But I don't know. So there's like some interesting things there because if you have a productized service and you're like, well, every case study costs... $500, for example, if every case study costs $500 and it becomes really easy to calculate, well, like how many case studies do I need to do this month, this year to make what I want to make, right? To reach my goals. I don't run my business that way, but I think it's worth thinking about that as well. Yeah. And I think that there are so many other things we could get into with the various pricing models, like bundling and and like you said, productizing. There's so many things we could talk about, but I think just to kind of wrap things up, the bottom line here is probably charge more. I think that that's the the final <laughs> message is that whatever you're charging now, it should probably be more. <laughs> yeah, it should probably be more. And unless, like I said, you're you're getting resistance, then it's at least worth experimenting and, and throwing some things at the wall. And you know, I think the other thing that the little final point I want to touch on here is that if you are concerned about raising your rates because you don't feel confident in the value you're providing, there may be things that you can do within your business, which we can talk about on other episodes that make you seem worth your rate. So like there are simple things like depending on what kind of copywriting or freelance writing you do, if you add proposal software, it may make it way easier for a client to say yes to a higher rate or things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of your marketing materials may help sell you. That's a sales conversation though, but worth mentioning. But I think we're ready to wrap up. How about you, Kaylee? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so I know that this is a really important topic for pretty much anyone who does freelance writing because it's, like I said, there's no one size fits all. There's no guidebook. So hopefully this has been illuminating. Hopefully it's helped you maybe get some new ideas or maybe it's just that little nudge you needed to, to raise your rates a bit or to go into those conversations more confidently. But yeah, bottom line is probably charge more. Yeah, after this conversation, I'm like, oh, I probably I need to charge more. So it's ever evolving. It is. It is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Freelance Writing Coach. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. Podcastedition.com provided editing and Ali Rico provided writing assistance. Yeah.